We're talking about uh, not just Father's Day today, but we're kind of doing this theme. Uh, you could call it a NASCAR theme if you want, but really about uh, the finish line. And, and I just want to remind you, uh, as we get ready for this, that the, the finish line is not the end of each week. But we have a life out ahead of us that God is asking us to live well and for a purpose. And I think all too often we, we rush to false finish lines of thinking, oh, I just got to make it to 55. I just got to make it to retirement. I just got to make it to this and that. And then what happens when you get there? But we have called to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. And it doesn't mean that you can't reti- retire, but uh, my question is, what do you do for Jesus after you retire? You just travel and all it is about you? What do you do for Jesus before you retire? Is it, it, are you working for Jesus while you're working and raising your family? Or, or have you already set a finish line? Hey, I made it to church this week. I'm good. That's a false finish line. And, and the Bible uses a couple different passages that we're going to look at today, but, um, I'll just confess. Confession's good for the soul. I really dislike NASCAR. And if you love NASCAR, hey, good on you. I mean, uh, my, my in-law family love NASCAR. That's religion to them. Um, I, the great, the best part about NASCAR, I just got to say, the best part about NASCAR is you can miss like an hour of it and come back and they're still driving to the left. I mean, you haven't missed anything. Now, maybe some cars have changed positions, but the beauty is they're all still driving to the left. And I'll just remind you, this is, uh, it, hopefully if you're easily offended this morning, just get over it. And um, we just have to remember what NASCAR stands for, right? It's a non-athletic sports centered around rednecks. Now, this is, uh, again, this is just personal sharing. Don't hold this to the Bible. But this is what was so strange to me is uh, I watch TV. Those of you that have been around, you know I watch TV, but I usually watch Animal Planet. I like to see things, chase other things down and kill it. Um, But in our early years of of marriage, coming from very different households, I grew up in a non-NASCAR home. Uh, I was the play outside kid, and I grew up on a, a little ranch in the middle of nowhere in central Washington, uh, where basically you had uh, Hee Haw, uh, Lawrence Welk, and the Wild Kingdom to watch on when the channel was good, and the rest of the time we're playing outside. But I married into a NASCAR religion family. Um, so I can remember some of those first times with my in-law family were over at their house and we're eating and everybody's got their food and, um, and I'm looking in the kitchen and I'm getting my food and thinking, hey, that's, you know, I, I like family gatherings and I go in and, and it's like church. Everybody's got their spot. Nobody's talking. Focused. And I don't understand this, so I'm, I'm asking, I'm talking. 
You don't talk during NASCAR. <laughs> Not that you're going to miss anything, but it's just some unwritten rule that you don't talk during NASCAR. And so I'm trying to figure out what, you know, who's where, who's what, what's, uh, you know. And so I'm the local idiot. And, and I look back now with uh, years of, of family time now, I, I find how gracious my in-law family was with an idiot that didn't understand NASCAR and still doesn't understand NASCAR. It's like, okay, you're, you're driving. Why are you doing 500 laps? I mean, let's shorten this. Bring it down to five. If you're really good, you'll win. I mean, come on. But two NASCAR fans were driving through Louisiana trying to get to Daytona, and as they were going through some of these uh, strangely named towns in Louisiana, they started arguing about the pronunciations of the towns. They kept going back and forth until they finally stopped for lunch, and at the counter, one of the tourists, the NASCAR fan that's driving through, asked the employee, said, hey, before we order, could you please settle an argument for us? Would you please pronounce the where we are slowly. The guy leaned over the counter close to them and he said, Burger King. (laughs) NASCAR fans. My job today is hopefully uh, not to just focus on you as fathers. Fathers, thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough thing. But all of us, whether you're male, female, father, not father, soon to be a father, uh, don't want to be a father, we still have a, a calling by Jesus Christ to finish the race. We're all in a race. Uh, and, and the good news, before we get anywhere else, because I know I've only got about, you know, the first seven minutes to catch your attention, then you fall asleep, you start thinking about other things. So the good news up front is this. You don't have to run anybody else's race. You just have to run your race. You're not responsible for somebody else's race. You're responsible for your race. And if you don't like where you started, it's not about where you started. It's where you finish. Now, we're going to cover some of that, but I just want you to know up front, the good news is you only have to run your race. You're not responsible for the other races. So let's take a look at what God's Word said. I'm going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. This is uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy is a, is a young pastor, a young believer that Paul has raised up and poured himself into, and, and he's actually turning the church over to, to Timothy because Paul is, is not a pastor. Paul is a preacher. Paul is an apostle that goes and strengthens church. He finds some elders, he puts them together, and then moves along. Because uh, if, if you know anything about the apostle Paul, if you read his work, you find out Paul is not the pastor that you want because he, he skins you every day. <laughs> he, he doesn't have much time. He's always on the move to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, and he has grace and he has mercy, but he knows what his calling is, which is to set up and establish churches. So every place he'd go, he'd find some people, put together a little leadership team, and then find somebody to be over that church so he could be along the way. And part of this was a young man named Timothy. And so he's trying to give him good instructions through this, this book called Timothy that we'd read. 
And, and here's what he's telling Timothy at the end of Paul's life, as, he, as he's been older, he's, uh, he's been in prison the, the latter years of his life. He knows it's already been, uh, been uh, prophesied or foretold how his life is going to end. And, and right now, as he's writing Timothy, he's, he's chained between two Roman guards on house arrest. Now, Paul's been criticized that if, if God was really for him, he wouldn't be arrested. God would miraculously get him out. Paul's been criticized by, by people saying, oh, you just preach because they pay you. And, and he's had all these things said about him, and yet he always shrugs all that stuff off, and he says, I'm just going to let my work speak for itself. I'm going to let my heart speak for itself. And this is what he says to Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. And that's the first part of this race that we're talking about, about finishing well, is there are many places that we battle, but we have to learn what the good fight is. Because there is a lot of bad fights out there. Things that we get involved in that nobody's going to be the winner. Things that we get involved in where you don't feel like a winner, even if you win. And so Paul understood, hey, I've had to fight, and I've had to fight to, to not get involved in all this stuff, to not to battle it out with things that don't make a difference. I've made it my aim to fight the right fight, the good fight. And look what he says, and I have finished the race. So it was a, it was a fight to even start that race. It was a fight to stay in the midst of it. I mean, think about Paul, who's been in prison for years and years and years. He's been falsely accused. He's, he's been in front of everybody. He knows uh, what it means to be beaten. He knows what it means to be punished. He knows what it is to be abandoned. All of these things, every opportunity to turn back and to do something different, and yet he kept going on because he realized that this race that we run is a marathon. Everybody could be a Christian if it was a 100-meter dash. If you just had to do it for a year, everybody could do Christianity. The problem is it's a lifelong mission that starts at salvation and either ends at your death or the return of Jesus Christ. And it's long, and it's difficult, and, and it's joyful, and it's wonderful, and it's hard, and, and it's everything it's supposed to be, but the reality is it's not short, it's not quick, and it's definitely not easy. It's a fight to keep our priorities. When there's lots of things that short-circuit us, make us want to stop. And, and that's why, like I said, for me, I'm not against NASCAR. I just know I couldn't sit in a car and drive left for 500 laps. I don't have that patience. I'd be tinkering with stuff, and then I'd be in a crash, or I'd be like, hey, what if we just go right for a change? And I'd be in the wall. I mean, I'd, I don't know that I would finish that. And yet, the determination that it takes for all of us to set our eyes on Jesus Christ and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going lap after lap after lap after lap after year after month after trial after difficulty after success after after everything sometimes even our successes short circuit us <laughs> but paul says i've i've finished the fight and, or the race and i have remained faithful think about this for just a bit I can tell you that there are things that I've told God that I would do, and I get 
short-circuited, and I haven't always been faithful. Now, I can whine about that, and I think we've all got those stories, things that we've done and left undone. But I get to choose what I'm going to do the next day, the next minute. And I can whine about the past, and, and I think about what little I do know about NASCAR, which is this. It doesn't really matter your pole position. It doesn't even matter how well you qualified. What matters is who crosses the finish line first. And it doesn't even matter if you were slower than you were last week. It's just about that race. And even if you're slower, you get to celebrate, and you're still the winner of that race, because that's the goal, is to get over the finish line. And there's technical features to it that, that again, it's not just driving. And I make fun of all that, but it's not just driving. If, if you know anything about it, it's not just driving. But we have a race that we've got to run. And here's what he wants us to understand. Guess what? There's a prize waiting for you. It's not just, hey, good job, you ran. Did you know that Jesus Christ is waiting to award us? That if you read through Revelation and parts of the Bible, that there's going to be a judgment. And, and, it's, and for us as believers, it's a good thing. It's called the Bema Seat. It's where He calls us out. It's almost like that winner's circle where He awards us with crowns and victories and, and applause and, and great things that He says, well done. It's not just a, okay, you completed your lap. Good job. You're just some uh, nameless face. That's not th- what awaits us. If we're personally known, and if God is good, He's going to reward each one of us according to how we ran our race. And, and you know, you've looked around, and you've seen people that have an easier path than you. They've had it easier than you. And you've looked around, and you've seen some people that have had it harder than you. You've seen some people that started a little later on the race. You've seen some people that had the, the best that life could give them, and they still struggle. And you've seen people that have overcome incredible obstacles to get where they are today. And maybe that's you. And don't fall into the trap of thinking that God doesn't notice that, because He's not comparing you with anybody else but you. Thank God, right? Imagine if we had to be compared to Billy Graham. Who feels confident this morning? I don't. (laughs) Imagine being compared to the Apostle Paul, who feels confident this morning? I don't. Or Jesus. But there's a prize that awaits me. He says, a crown of righteousness, that we understand his right standing in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that Jesus has already won that crown for you. If you are saved, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, He has already made you righteous. But what He is saying is that when the day comes, there's going to be a reward for your righteousness. Because I can tell you this, the righteousness He won for you, you have to keep. 
It can pass away. It can go by the wayside. You can find yourself unrighteous again. But the fact that that's part of the race is staying righteous, staying in right standing before God. Here's the great news. It doesn't mean that you won't sin, but it means you keep coming back to Him to get your righteousness. Just like NASCAR where you have to qualify each time. How come you can't just win one race and you're good for the next race? You know what? You still have to qualify. And Jesus is the one that qualifies us. That's good news this morning, isn't it? Not your qualifications, but His qualifications. He says, I saw you when you were still a sinner and yet I paid for you. So we really don't have an excuse. You're qualified through Him, but our sin can stop us short If we let it, your sin doesn't have to stop you short. Can I tell you that this morning? You can use an excuse. You can say, I've been too bad. I've done it too long. I even liked what I did. I've done this. I've done that. And you can also remember that what he did, he paid for our sin with his own blood so that your sin doesn't have to stand in the way. He's the qualifier for us. He says that this Lord, a righteous judge, is going to give me on the day of His return. He's looking and waiting. Notice that He sees that as the finish line. He doesn't see each day or the end of His life as the finish line. He sees when He meets Jesus as the finish line. Can you set your your finish line to that time as well? Erase what you had before. Just trying to make it to retirement. Just trying to make it to your whatever you fill in the blank. And set your finish line as when I meet Jesus. If you'll set that as your finish line, everything else will fall into place. What do you think would happen, not only on the TV, but in real life, to the guy that does the Daytona 500 and stops at 499? He lost count, pulls into the pit, gets out of his car, wondering why is nobody else cheering? Where's the champagne? Where's the praise? Where's the... And everybody else is still driving. What do you think everybody says about that person? Well done. Way to go. That's encouraging. Good job. Way to be a... You think that's what they'd say? Or they go, you idiot! You stopped before the race was done. You were in the lead. You could have won it all. And you lost track. I'm here to remind you not to lose track. Stop looking around you and stay focused on Jesus. He's our finish line. And I know some of you, you're older and you never thought you'd live this long. (laughs) You just knew Jesus was going to come back before this. And some of you are younger, hoping he doesn't come back so soon because you're still working some stuff out. But I guarantee you, if you set your finish line as Jesus, you'll run your race well. All these other things, trying to make such and such money, trying to have this many kids, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to get this house, trying to get this job, all those are false finish lines. Set your finish line on Jesus Christ, and you'll finish well. Because all those other things can stop you short. He says, not only that, the prize is not just for me. Look at this. But for who? All. Anybody. That's you. That's me this morning. That's anybody that's coming next. That's the next generation. The next generation, depending on how long Jesus is going to give us. But notice what he says. But for all who do what, though? Look at this. 
all who eagerly wait or look for his appearing. What's the finish line? Him, right? Not a date, not a time, but we're looking to meeting Jesus. And he said we should be eagerly looking for that. If you're somebody this morning that you're like, I hope he doesn't come back tomorrow, you need to reset your finish line. If he does come back tomorrow, won't you be happy? I will be. If not, maybe some of the cloudiness of this planet, maybe some of this lifestyle that we've been living has gotten into your head and you're thinking, no, 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 I, I need another couple of years. I want to see. You know what I want to see? There's lots of things I'd like to experience, but I would never give that up to, to miss Jesus. And so he is the ultimate finish line for me. Whenever he comes back, either my death or his, or his returning, that's my finish line. And all the other stuff is just benefits, but it's not the finish line. And we've got to get that straight. You've got to make your finish line Jesus and not a time or an event because there's people around you that thought he would have come back by now. There's events that you'd say, hey, how could he linger anymore? Or, or even like me, I heard people saying, We've already missed it. But I'm here to tell you, if this is as good as it gets, I want out. <laughs> and there's a movement out there, and there's lots of crazy stuff going on. But there's even people that they call it the millennial reign that they believe we're already there. I'm thinking, if this is heaven on earth, if this is the best that God says we're going to have, I got cheated. <laughs> And you got cheated. We're not in the millennial reign. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back. And the only reason he's waiting is because he wants everybody to get saved that can get saved. He wants everybody in the race. He wants everybody to finish well. But also let me remind you that the goal is not just to race. You didn't just come here to exist and just eke out your days. God wants to award you. I want you to see this. Look at this, look at this section right here. 1 Corinthians 9.24. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, don't you realize in a race, everybody runs. Now, here's the harsh news this morning. If you didn't realize you're in a race, you're in a race. And everybody runs. But only one person gets the prize. Now, now this sounds contrary but he's using two different contexts here. So the first one he's talking about is that God's ready to award everybody, all who are eagerly waiting for him, but he's bringing it down more specifically. And what he's saying here is everybody runs the race, but the only one that's going to get the prize for your race is you. Only one person gets the prize because it's your race. Verse two, the next verse. So do what? Run to when? Now, in this day of uh, awarding the mediocre and giving the least, I'm here to tell you this is great advice from Paul. Run your race to win. Don't just run it because other people are running. Don't give up just because it seems like other people are faster. You run your weight race to win for you. What's your race that you're running? Only you know that. And you know how God feels about you, and you also know where you slack and where you shine. We all have this race to run. But look what he says. All athletes 
are disciplined in their training. This is where it gets a little tougher. If you really want to win well, you've got to learn some disciplines or you'll give up. It'll be too hard. It'll be too long. It'll be too far. You'll start getting a little upset by people that are passing you. Can I tell you that in every race there are people that are going to pass you, but they can't keep up the pace? And sometimes that's even by design to get you distracted. The reason that we should train is to do it to win a prize. It says that this earthly stuff, some NASCAR cup, that stuff fades away. We do it for an eternal prize. Now, it's hard. It's a hard concept this morning, and we're only going to take a brief moment on this. It's hard for us to understand what heaven is like because we've never been there. And you can read the Bible, and you get a kind of a little, just a little nudge of, okay, it's, it's beautiful, and there's thrones, and golden rainbows, and the sea of glass. And, but what we can understand is how He's going to give us rewards. And, and again, it's not about the rewards, but we can't understand the fullness of all that He's going to do and all that we're going to receive. Okay? And for the, for the people older than me, you understand this. Okay? So, uh, show of hands real quick this morning. Uh, if you are a grandparent, and now that you've got grandchildren children, and wish you could have started with grandchildren, raise your hands. Look around this morning. It's not that you didn't love your children, but you were busy, and they were difficult. And you didn't know what you were doing. And with grandchildren, they're a reward they are joyful. They are wonderful. And you don't have to raise them. What another reward. You get to love on them, spoil them, kiss them, buy them stuff, and send them home. Oh, I'm tired now. I'll go see mommy. And it's a reward, but you wouldn't miss it. But you had to go through children to get grandchildren. And children can be messy and painful, and it's a race. And those of you that are just starting out, you've got little ones, I know that doesn't sound very hopeful, but guess what? (laughs) Listen, how you run your race of faith is going to affect how your kids run their race of faith. And you can either give them the shortcuts of how to get there faster, farther, or you leave it to them, and they got to figure it out. I say I want them to get farther faster. I'd love for them to be a better race runner than me. I'd love for them to not have to go through all the mess that I had to go through. I'd love for them to finish well and to hear God say, well done. And the great news is, no matter what we've been through, He can help us get through this. So what does He say? Verse 26 So I run with purpose in every step. Look what he's saying. I'm making sure that I'm running my race. If this doesn't, if this isn't about the race, then it gets pushed down on my level of importance. I'm running with purpose. And he even gives this example. He's talking about athletics and all this stuff. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing. And what he's really saying, I'm not going to waste my time just fighting the air. If I'm going to spend my time, I'm going to spend it running well. And it sounds horrible this morning. I'm not being judgmental, I promise you. There are way too many people 
that shadow box Christianity. They're worried about what it looks like. But they're not getting anywhere. They're not winning anything. They're not even racing. They're just, how does this look? (laughs) Can I tell you, it's a lot more than shadow boxing. It's a lot more than how you look on the outside or what church you attend. It's about how you live your life. That's your race. That's your race. Thirdly, it's all about position. Your most important position is a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not mom, it's not dad, it's not husband or wife, it's not good worker or good student or whatever your job title is. That's not your most important position. Your most important position is follower of Jesus Christ because if you follow Him, everything else will line up. And if you don't follow Him, everything gets mixed up. Your most important position is a follower of Christ. Also, your position is not static. You're either getting closer or you're getting farther away. So you think about that NASCAR race. Guess what? Would it make any sense if everybody just stayed in the spot that they started at? What kind of a race would that be? Well, we can't pass the people up in the front. They're in the front. The goal is to pass the people in the front. (laughs) What position are you in? Is it time for you to step it up? Because remember, it's not static. There's no neutral in the kingdom. You're either moving closer to Christ or you're fading into the back. And you get to determine. And I've been on those days. Hey, nobody's perfect. I've been on days where I've been in a neutral, thinking I was in neutral. But it's amazing. When you get into neutral, you realize people are passing you. Where are you at this morning? Are you getting closer? Are you waiting for the next turn to get get closer to Jesus? Or have you settled in and say, you know, fifth isn't so bad. Third isn't so bad, but you got more in you. You're either getting closer or farther away. And I'm here to tell you that as this world goes on, it's going to get harder and harder to find the motivation to keep your foot on the gas. We're already tired. We're already stressed. We're already distracted. And and I'll tell you, there's a million reasons to quit, but the most important reason to stay on it is to finish well. Not just for you. Other people are watching you. Your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching you. Your spouse is watching you. Your co-workers are watching you. Your fellow students are watching you. They're seeing this life that you live, and you need to finish well to give them hope that there's a way to finish. It's not just about you. Other people are following in your footsteps. Other people are watching how you race. Where you start isn't as important as where you finish. I wasted 20 years of my life. And guess what? God has put me on the hurry up. So from the time I got saved to the time I was in ministry was about a year. And that's not everybody's story. And maybe it's not everybody should have that story. But my question is, some of you... You think, I've done too much, I've gone too far, I haven't done enough. What's stopping you from beginning again right now? Every day is a new race. 
And instead of thinking of it as years and years, how about we just race well each day? I'm going to make sure this is the day that I give Jesus the most. This is the day that I'm going to go all out. This is, and you start that the next day and the next day. And we don't always get to choose our course, but I'm telling you, you can have a decision. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be all in. I'm going to go all out. I want to finish well. I'm going to finish this day well. And I wish I could say that I finished all my days well, but I don't. But I'm going to make a decision. Last week, you got to shrug it off. Last week shouldn't affect this week. Yesterday doesn't have to affect today. Because I'll tell you what, there was a time, a season in, in Melissa and my life, where we were under pressure, and we were in ministry, and we've got kids, and we found it's best for us not to talk on Sunday. Because we got into a, a time where it was difficult and pressured, and pretty soon we're having these little intense times of fellowship <laughs> before church. And nothing makes you want to be patient and kind and humble and preach well than being mad at your wife for something she said that was 100% right that you didn't want to hear. And nothing wants to make her praise and pray and listen to me and follow Jesus like having an idiot for a husband and having to lead other people as they watch you. And that's just a moment. And I know you've got those moments too. We're distracted people. Or I can make a decision and say, you know what, if I can't do this, I'm done. I'm out. Or maybe I rise to the challenge. Maybe I step up again today. And for those of you that have fallen and failed and feel like you're at the back of the pack, Jesus died for the people at the back of the pack just like he died for the people that have the best car and the best crew and the most money and all the endorsements. He died for the people that barely make it up out of their bed in the morning. And that doesn't give you an excuse not to do your best. You don't have to be my best. You have to do your best. And sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes 70% is my best. <laughs> and 70% sometimes is your best. But I'm still going to give it that 70%. Realizing that he is urging us on, that there are times that we don't always get it. We all have a past. We all make mistakes. We all have regrets. But we can learn from them and let them stride us forward farther, or we can use them as an excuse. I've run road races with my own legs, and you know what? The first mile for me is always the worst. I'm not one of those get into a natural groove types of guys. After that first mile, it feels pretty good. You get a little runner's high kick, anything. Hey, this isn't so bad. But that first mile, my legs are talking to me, hey, dummy. We don't like doing this. And then my lungs kick in and say, yeah, your legs are right. What's the matter with you? This isn't any fun. And then about mile two, my insides start saying, hey, I think I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Great, you're two miles from home. You got a big choice. <laughs> Or 
But I found that if I determined with my mind to run the race, my body and the circumstances will take care of themselves. And it's not easy. But it's what we've all got to do. Like I said, there's a lot of excuses to quit being faithful. There's a lot of excuses to not be in church. There's a lot of excuses to not read your word and to not pray and to not follow Christ. There's all kinds of excuses, but there's no good reason. We just have to make a determination that if my finish line is Jesus, I want to finish well. And He's the only one that gets to compare me. Nobody else. And at the end of the day, I get to talk with Him and say, how, how did I do? Where did I, where did I mess up? And, and start having a little, a little rapport with each other. And, and hopefully He evaluates my race and I start running better. And He wants to do that for you too. Not to make you feel bad or tear you down, but to give you good advice. That's the power of the Holy Spirit to help you run better. Not to poke at you and say, oh, you're not running as good as... That never is the Holy Spirit. Just three things here we'll finish up with. If you want to finish well, and that's an if. Some of you are still wrestling with this. You're not even sure. You're not even sure you care. You're not even sure. What does that mean to finish well? And and maybe, I'm just going to speak to it. Maybe it's the 2% of you. You've never finished anything. You haven't ever finished a book. You can't even finish watching a television show. You, you're just a non-finisher, and you're the jack of all trades, but the master of none. And, and like I said, I believe that's probably only about 2% of you. Believe me, you don't want to miss finishing this. You don't want to miss heaven. You don't want to miss Jesus Christ. You don't want to miss the race of your life. Three things. Number one, you need to pick the right vehicle. We'll use this NASCAR demonstration this morning. Did you know that most of them are about the same? <laughs> but who, whoever the mechanic is, whoever knows how to coax it out the best horsepower, the best fuel efficiency, the best out of the driver, you need to pick the right vehicle, and that vehicle is Jesus. He's the one that's going to get you to the finish line. Okay? Okay? He's the one that's going to get you to the finish line. You need to pick the right vehicle. John 14 and 6, there is no way to get to the Father except through me, he says. If the finish line is to finish well, there's no way to get there except for Jesus. Sunday school, church, tithing, being a good person, all that is wonderful, but it doesn't get you to the finish line. You can have all of those and miss Jesus, and you didn't even start the race. How sad is that? You got the best car and you just chose not to drive it. You need to choose the right vehicle. Have you chosen Jesus this morning? Or are you still trying to get there on your own? You're still trying to make it on the backs of somebody else. You're still trying to do it because your grandpa or your daddy was a preacher or somehow you think that you're just going to get there some other way? I'm just telling you, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. He's the only car in that race. Everything else is a distraction. 
Secondly, you need the right pit crew. You think about the importance of that pit crew that talks to the driver and is there to fix any repairs and to remind him of what lap they're on. You need good friends. You need good relationships. It's hard to run this thing on our own. It's always easier to run with a running partner that can encourage you, hey, keep up with us now. Hey, slow down. We can't keep up. And you keep that going and somebody's telling you, hey, your shoe's untied. Hey, it looks like you're getting dehydrated. Hey, I mean, we'll stop if you're going to stop. What a great thing. We need the right pit crew. You can't do this on your own. Who are your friends? Who is the group that you're plugged into? And I'm not just talking about your family. Your family is all going to love you, but most of the time your family isn't always going to tell you the truth. You need some friends around you, some that are a good group, somebody that's going to hold you accountable. Somebody says, hey, it looks like you're slipping a little bit. Hey, hey, man, I'm so inspired by what you're doing. Or, hey, thanks for being a great dad. Thanks for being good parents. Thanks for keeping your marriage together when it was tough. You need the right pit crew. And, and the fact that so many people are trying to go it alone today is why we're seeing failure. Even pastors that, that shelter themselves and isolate themselves and they don't have friends anymore, it's easier for them to fall. It's easier for them to burn out. You need a good pit crew. Proverbs tells us this. It said, if you walk with the wise, you will be wise. And if you read the very next part of that verse, it says this, but a companion of fools suffers harm. (laughs) Think about that for just a minute. You don't want to be a fool. You don't want harm to come into your life. You need to walk with wise people. Get connected. You're not as smart as you think you are, and the people that are around you aren't as smart as they think they are. We need each other. God made us to fit together in all of this. And last but not least, you need to watch how you drive, how you live. Ephesians 5.15 says, Watch then how you live or how you walk, for the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but be wise. Think about that for just a minute. How many of you would, would take this into the physical and you get up to speed like most people on I-5 doing 75, 80 and decide you're going to take a nap because you're tired or decide to crawl in the back seat because you're tired of driving or just let's test this for the next 30 miles I'm going to just take my hand off the wheel you know what would happen but why do we do it with our spiritual lives Why do we take our focus off? Why do we let go of the wheel? Why do we get sleepy? Why do we disengage? You need to watch how you drive. The choices that you make are going to determine how far you're going to go. How's your drive right now? 